I come from a very large Catholic family, a multi-generational Irish Catholic uh, that goes back two days in Ireland uh, being Catholic, so it was a firmly ingrained faith uh, on my father's side. Um, being raised in a Catholic family uh, is, uh, in itself, we were went to Catholic school, we attended service on Sunday, uh, we all took our sacraments of confession, communion, confirmation at the prescribed ages that the Catholic Church set. I felt God loved me uh, and accepted me by following all the different guidelines the Catholic Church had in place. Uh, one of those was the act of confession uh, to where you confessed your sins and the priest gave you a set number of prayers uh, to absolve you of your sins. Uh, in my heart, uh, believed I should be repentant. When it comes to how I view things now as to how I viewed things then, uh, I see that uh, I'm no different than anyone else around me. I'm no better. Uh, we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God, but man defined, the Catholics defined Jesus. Uh, they had taken what they had read and they defined him in that manner. And now I realize that uh, God cannot be defined by humans. Uh, God created us and we are to worship Him and to follow His teachings in the Bible, but we are not to define Him. I had adopted the attitude that uh, Catholic best, everyone else not so good. And uh, what changed in me was realizing that uh, saved or unsaved, we all come from God and that my task that God has given me is to show others the way to Him and that I, it is not for me to judge. It is not for me to pass a ruling down on anyone. I should deal with my own sins, which are great within me, uh, before judging anybody else. And that, that's anybody. And I don't feel that anymore. I see everyone. I, I see everyone as beautiful now. I feel that uh, there is no ugliness because we are all made by God. Thank Kathy for sharing her story with us this morning. Last Sunday, she's uh, back at the computer running our slides, and uh, she's actually back there this morning, and her story kind of fits in to, to what we're going to be talking about here in just a few minutes. So, so uh, thanks, Kathy. Uh, for those of you in the crowd who uh, might be interested in maybe sharing your story, um, we love to share stories here at Crosspoint. One of my favorite things is hearing the stories of, of people who make up our church. Um, so just quickly, we'd love to hear your faith story. Um, we would love to hear the story of how Crosspoint City Church and being a part of, of this body has impacted your life. And uh, man, if you'd be so kind as to share your story with us, you can do so in a really simple way. Go to, uh, it's not go to, but it's email us at mystory@crosspointcity.com. Mystory@crosspointcity.com. Com. We'd love to hear from you, and who knows, maybe we'll show your story on Sunday, all right? Um, before we dive in, let me just stop and say something really quickly, all right? Uh, I just want to thank all of you in the room. Many of you know uh, that last weekend, my wife and I lost a baby that uh, she was 10, mo or 10 months, 10 weeks pregnant with. And um, after we shared that, many of you, you reached out, and uh, you let us know that you were supporting us, praying for us. 
And, uh, and man, it just meant a lot. Um, this week's kind of been up and down, but I just want to thank you because many of you in the room who've sent us emails or letters or texts or Facebook messages, um, you've really helped to hold us up. And so from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Um, my wife and I feel so grateful for this church, and, uh, and we're blessed beyond words to be a part of this church family. We love you more than we can express, and, uh, and we just thank you for, for being there with us, all right? Let's do this. Uh, let's grab our Bibles, or if you have a device with a Bible app on it, grab it. And let's go to Philippians chapter 3 together. Philippians chapter 3. And I want you to hang on to those spiritual resume cards that we had you fill out a minute ago, because we'll come back to those a little bit later in the message. But for those of you who weren't here last week, um, I need to kind of bring you in to, to what we talked about, because today's message, it's almost kind of part two, a sequel to, uh, to last week. And if you didn't catch last week's message if you weren't here, but I'd strongly encourage you to go online some point at some point this week, watch it at crosspointcity.com. All right, you can watch all of our messages for free on our website at any time. So so do that. All right, but quickly here's what we talked about, here's what we learned. But we talked about the difference between working for your salvation and working from your salvation. You see, we learn that as followers of Jesus, we're called by God to work hard at becoming the people he's created us and saved us to be. But we don't do anything that he's called us to do to earn anything or to prove anything, right? We don't, we don't come to church, read the Bible, pray, serve others, give money, live out the commands of God in the scriptures because we're trying to earn anything from him. That would be working for salvation, but instead, we're supposed to do all of those things that I just mentioned because we understand that God already loves us, already accepts us, all because of what Jesus has done for us. And all those things that we do are just a response from us to God's love for us. So, so that's the difference. Now listen, I know that I'm like some of you in this room who grew up and spent a lot of my Christian life totally missing this idea of working from salvation Verses for it. At 14 years old, and I remember praying a prayer and asking Jesus to save me because I heard about this place called hell and it didn't sound like fun and I decided I didn't want to go there. And so when somebody said, well, if you'll put your faith in Jesus, you don't have to. I was like, bro, sign me up. I'm down for that. And so I prayed a prayer at age 14, believed that God sent Jesus to save me. But I wasn't really convinced that God liked me much. And I just assumed that it was my job to convince him to do so. So as a teenager, I remember going to church every time the doors were open, um, ditched a lot of my friends who were bad influences, right? Went to CD burning parties, got rid of the, the CDs I wasn't supposed to be listening to. And I burned up some good music, by the way. Um, man, started trying to read my Bible, started praying. Um, I, I was doing all of this stuff. Believing that by doing so, I was giving God good reason to love me. Now, here was my issue. I'd do okay with all that stuff for a while, but then inevitably I'd start slipping up. I'd stop reading my Bible, I'd stop praying, start hanging out with my old friends, go back to the music store, and I'd see Sublime on the shelf, and I'm like, man, I burned that. Why did I burn that? I'm rebuying it, right? And I'd pop it back in and listen and be awesome. Um, I'd start slipping up. I'd come to services like this, and I'd, I'd sit through them, and I really wouldn't want to be there. And in those moments and seasons of my life, here was my thinking. I'd start thinking, God must be so displeased with me right now. I mean, how could God really love me when I'm acting like this? So when I feel guilty enough, you know what I'd do? I'd get back to work, right? 
my guilt would drive me back to Bible reading, back to throwing away the CDs, back to ditching my friends, back to going back to church and, and trying hard to act like I wanted to be there. It was just this vicious cycle that went on in my life for almost 10 years after becoming a Christian, all because I constantly questioned God's love for me. And if I'm being real honest, listen, in those 10 years, there were a lot of days, man, when I got out of bed and being a Christian felt completely draining, it was frustrating, it was burdensome, and there were often times that I wasn't really sure I wanted to be one anymore. But look, this all changed for me in my early to mid-20s when I finally started to understand the amazing truth that we're going to be talking about today. That as a broken, sinful man, I can be 100% sure of God's love for me, not because I'm so incredible and awesome, but because Jesus, God's son, is. And man, I'm just praying that if you walk in the door today and you can identify with my story because it's your story and, and you're here and you don't really want to be here and you're trying to do all the right churchy religious stuff because you think it's your job to make God love you, look, look, look. I'm praying you walk out of this door today changed and that you'd experience a confidence in God's love toward you that you've never experienced in your life. So with all that being said, we're going to get to work. We're going to dive in to verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles or your devices open there, um, you can pick up. If you didn't bring anything with you, then you can follow along with me on the screens, all right? Here's what Paul says. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, in a couple weeks, when we get into Philippians 4, we're going to do a whole message on what it means to rejoice in the Lord in spite of life circumstances. So, so be here for that, but we're not going to touch on that this morning. He goes on, he says, to write the same things to you, it's no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, let me give us some context so verse 2 will actually make sense to us, okay? Um, when Paul was here on the earth, his ministry was geared specifically toward Gentile people. And by Gentile people, I mean non-Jewish people. People probably like the majority of us sitting in the room today. And the message that Paul was preaching to these Gentile people was the same gospel message we've been pointing to this entire series. He showed up in their cities and he was telling these people, God loves you. And he proved his love for you by sending his own son, Jesus, into the world to die in your place for your sins so that you could be saved from sin, death, and hell and know both new and eternal life. He choked and go, man, there's nothing you got to do to earn God's love. You don't have to be a great rule follower. You don't have to clean your act up first. You don't need to fix your life before God will love you. Instead, all you need to do is admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and put your faith in Jesus as the Savior you need. And because of Paul's ministry, literally thousands upon thousands of people, non-Jewish people, were meeting Jesus and brand new churches were popping up in some of the most influential cities in the entire world. But there was a problem. Here was a problem. Um, there was this religious group of men called the Judaizers. They were Jewish men. And they were literally following Paul around to all these different cities he was preaching in and starting churches in. And they were preaching a much different message than him after he left. And here was the message they were preaching. They'd show up and they'd say, okay, yeah, yeah, listen, um, Paul's right, kind of. Right, yeah, God sent Jesus and Jesus came to die for your sins. But if you want to be sure of God's love for you and his acceptance of you, then there's a whole lot more you need to do than just put your faith in Jesus. And so if you want to be sure of God's acceptance, 
you also need to convert to Judaism. You see, their message wasn't just Jesus. It was Jesus plus all this other stuff. They said, you've got to obey all the Old Testament law. Um, you need to observe all the Jewish feasts and ceremonies. And by the way, Gentile men, um, you're going to need to be circumcised. Now, men in the room, think about that invitation, right? Want to be loved by God? Want to be accepted by Him? Put your faith in Jesus. Come forward for some minor surgery. We'll get you all fixed up. That, that's the message these guys were preaching. And it makes Paul so angry to the point that he goes after these guys in this verse we just read. And, and he calls them some names. Some not so very nice names, but that's why I like Paul, right? He's just keeping it real. So here's what he calls these guys. First, he calls them dogs. The Judaizers, this is how they often refer to non-Jewish people. They would call other people dogs. And Paul turns the table here. He goes, no, 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 you guys are the actual dogs. And for all you dog lovers in the room... Please understand this was not a compliment, okay? During Paul's time here on the earth, um, dogs were actually viewed as disgusting, disease-infested, scavenger-type of animals that no one wanted anything to do with. He's going, that's the Judaizers. Don't have anything to do with them. They're disgusting, horrible men. He says, these men, they're evildoers. Paul was convinced that even the good things that the Judaizers did, they did with selfish, evil intentions. They weren't doing good things to help people and to honor God. They were doing a lot of good stuff to promote themselves before others and to make themselves appear godly when they really weren't. And then lastly, he calls them mutilators of the flesh. And, and this is a direct reference here to circumcision. Again, they're preaching this message. You accept Jesus, you be circumcised, then God will accept you. And Paul's going, no, that's stupid. Couldn't be further from the truth. And you need to watch out for anybody who believes that. Um, if you go back to the Old Testament... You'll find that God called Jewish men to be circumcised, again, not to prove anything, not to earn anything, but for the purpose of setting themselves apart as people fully devoted to him and his way of living. It was kind of like putting on a team jersey, if you will, just in a more permanent and painful way. And again, God, or Paul's saying, listen, watch out for anybody who will mutilate their bodies and then sit back and, and believe that God is applauding them for doing so. Way to go. You cut off a piece of your body from me. I love you so much more now than I did before that extra piece of skin was there, right? I mean, do you hear how ridiculous that sounds? Paul was angry. And the reason why it was simple, because these Judaizers were preaching a salvation message founded in religion rather than a relationship with Jesus. And if you're not sure what the difference is, here's the difference. Religion says... I do something, and as a result of what I do, God then accepts me. A relationship with Jesus, on the other hand, recognizes there's nothing I can do to make God accept me. Man, I can be the churchiest, most spiritual, religious person on the face of the planet, and it doesn't matter because nothing I do can change anything between me and God. But that's okay because Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago to do everything necessary on my behalf to earn God's love and acceptance for me. See, while religion will say, work hard to make your way to God, Jesus reminds us that we have a God who loves us so much that he actually made his way to us. Now, I want us to keep reading in verse 3 because Paul goes on to give us three distinguishing characteristics of those people who choose Jesus over religion. So read verse 3 with me. Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. So again, all Paul's saying is this, that true people of God, people who actually belong to him, 
They prove so in three distinct ways. And, and here are the ways. One, they worship by the Spirit. They worship by the Spirit. I think oftentimes when we use that word worship, our minds often go to coming into a building like this once a week, bands on stage, they're singing, and we're kind of following along, right? What Paul's reminding us of with this statement is that worship is so much more than singing. He's saying people who belong to God, it doesn't matter where they are, no matter what they do, what they're doing, it doesn't matter if it's in a church service or they're at the gym. It doesn't matter if it's in a church service or they're at home with their family, at the ball field, at their workplace. People who belong to God spend their entire lives worshiping Him through following the leading of the Holy Spirit that lives inside them. So what that means is simple. Is that people who belong to Him, no matter where they find themselves, make it a point to serve others, to give of themselves sacrificially and generously. They're always pursuing holiness. They're constantly putting their sin to death. And why? Because they want God to be made much of in their lives all the time, not just on a Sunday morning. He also says people who belong to God, they boast in Jesus. I'm sure we've all been around those super religious people who love to brag about how spiritual and religious they are, right? Those people who go, man, let me tell you all the scripture I have memorized. Um, they'll tell you how many hours a day they pray or, or how many times they've read the Bible from cover to cover. And listen, if you are one of those people, man, we love you. We just don't care. We really don't care. <laughs> and, and look, and Paul's saying, Paul's saying we shouldn't care. And as people who belong to God, we, we shouldn't sit around and, and brag and boast about ourselves. And why? Because we understand that it doesn't matter what we do or what we've done. Nothing we do makes us more acceptable to God. Instead, we spend all of our time talking about Jesus and bragging about him and boasting in what he's done for us at the cross. Because we understand that's where the love and acceptance of God is found. Now, lastly, he says, people who truly belong to God, they put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in their flesh. I want you to grab your spiritual resume card out, if you will. You have it handy. Grab it. And I want you to just look at your list. Look at your list. What did you write down? Um, did you write stuff down like, well, God should accept me and I can feel more confident of God's love because I go to church or I pray or I serve or I give money or try to be a good husband and wife or try to, try to be nice to people. I try to be a good rule follower. Um, if you did write that kind of stuff down, let me ask you this question. Why did you write that stuff down? Because, again, in this passage, Paul's saying that we shouldn't place any confidence in whatever made it on our hearts when it comes to God's love and acceptance for us. That none of us should put any confidence in those things we do or don't do when it comes to God's approval and acceptance of us as people. But, but look, I bet some of us do it, don't we? I bet there are some of us in the room right now, and again, this was my story, so I get it. I bet there's some of us in the room right now who, when we do a great job reading the Bible, when we're, when we're killing it in our prayer life, when we're really consistent at church, when we're actually giving money and serving other people, don't we feel so much more confident in the fact that God must be really pleased with me? God, you have to be pleased with me. I, I made it to church four weeks out of a month instead of two, Right? God, you really must be pleased with me. I'm serving an egg drop this year, and I've never done that before. God, you really must love me now because I'm giving money, and I know a bunch of other people in my life won't give anything. Right? Are you doing these things because they lead you to a deeper confidence in God's love? Is that you? And if it is, let me ask you this question. Do you really think that you can do anything 
to make God love you more after what Jesus has done for you? I mean, think about this with me. Think about the insanity of it. Romans 5.8 says that God proved his love for us in this, that while we were all sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is simple, is that while you and I, while we were at our worst, God gave his very best. And he put his son on a cross to die in our place for our sins to say to us, this is how much I love you and don't you ever forget it. But we think that reading our Bible a little bit longer each day is going to make him love us more. Right? Jesus died so that we could be confident in God's love for us. But somehow we think raising our hands in worship, God's more pleased with us. Guys, look, look at me. I'm going to free all of this up. Okay, let me free all of this up. It's not your job to add to what Jesus has done for you concerning the love of God in your life. You can't add to what he's done. And the beautiful thing is that God doesn't ask you to. See, there's nothing on your spiritual resume card that makes any difference when it comes to God's love for you. Only Jesus makes that difference. And Paul, look, he actually starts pointing to his own life in this passage as an example to really drive this point home. So keep reading with me. We'll pick back up in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes on. He gives us his spiritual resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of heroes, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. So Paul's going, you want to be confident in yourself? Just know I'm better than you. At all things churchy and religious, I'm better than you. And again, what he does, here's what he does. He throws a spiritual resume in front of us. And he goes, here's who I am. I'm circumcised, been there, done that, got the t-shirt on the eighth day of my life according to the Levitical law. I've done it. He's going, man, my heritage, my ancestry, it's better than anybody else's. I'm a a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I come from a Jewish bloodline, and I come from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the most devout tribes of Israel that's ever existed. He said, as to who I've been, I've been a Pharisee. I know in church today, we often equate being a Pharisee with being a hypocrite. But during Paul's life here on the earth, being a Pharisee was a big deal, right? He was a professional religious leader. When it came to the scriptures and church and and all things religious, he was the best of the best. People actually wanted to be like him. He said, man, as for passion and zeal, persecuted the church. I mean, you want to talk about passion? How about being a guy that anybody who opposed the nation of Israel, anybody who opposed Judaism, you just hung them down and killed them. Paul's going, that's me, man. I'm... I was always passionate about what I believed. And when it comes to the law, I've been blameless. Just go read this book to me. I don't care. Read it. Read the law. Ask me if I've done it. Ask me if I haven't done it. Yep, yep, yep. Nope, nope, nope. Blameless. You can't hold anything against me. Man, I fulfill this thing to a T. But, but keep reading, right? If anybody's got a, a chance to be confident, it's me. But I want you to see what Paul says next. Starting in verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. You know what he's saying? 
He's going, man, I'm not pursuing a relationship with God through trying to be a certain guy anymore. It's not about following rules. It's not about a certain reputation. That's not what I'm confident in anymore. But instead, I'm confident in that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, before Paul became a Christian, listen, I mean, he had everything going for him. Highly respected. People wanted to be like him. When people looked at his life and, and saw his religious behavior, they automatically assumed that he was loved by God more than they'd ever be. But when Paul met Jesus on that Damascus road, right? You can read his story in Acts 9. And when he became a Christian, he says, man, I lost all of that. His reputation went away, his friends went away, his career as a professional religious leader went away, he lost his freedom. And while he's writing the book of Philippians, remember, he's sitting in jail waiting to find out whether or not he's going to lose his life. So Paul's saying, man, all those things that I put confidence in, all those things that I could point to and say, this is why God should love and accept me, he's going, I lost them all. But it's okay because in the process I gained Jesus, and he is all I need to be confident in how God feels about me. And we see just how confident Paul was in Jesus in the fact that he calls his spiritual resume rubbish in this passage. If you read that word in the New Testament Greek language that the New Testament was originally written in, um, man, it is such a vile, disgusting word that if I stood up from stage, I'd get in trouble, right? Like, You'd be wondering, should James be our pastor anymore? So I, I'm not going to say it from stage, but I want to make it understandable, okay? This word, it literally refers to animal excrement. And when Paul uses it, here's what he's saying. He's saying, man, my spiritual resume is crap compared to actually knowing Jesus. All these things that I put confidence in, my former reputation, my, my religious activity, none of this stuff matters anymore to me because I realized that none of it could make me more loved or more acceptable to God. Only Jesus can do that for me. He's the one that I'm confident in now. And having him and his righteousness, it's so much better than having some impressive spiritual resume that has absolutely no power to change anything between me and God. Now, I want to stop and, and kind of make sure we're all on the same page here because I just assume that maybe somebody, just somebody's in the crowd looking at your card and going, James, you just call this crap, bro? Because there's some good stuff on here, right? I mean, I wrote church and the Bible and prayer, and is that really crap? Well, well, here's the deal. If you wrote some of those things, all those things are really good things in and of themselves. But what you and I have to understand is that we can use all of those churchy religious activities in some very evil, detrimental ways if we're not careful. And here's what I mean. When we see the example in Paul's life, I mean that you can use church and the Bible and prayer and giving and serving in a way that actually disconnects you and keeps you distant from Jesus. You see, this is what was happening in Paul's life. In his commentary on the book of Philippians, Warren Wearsby says it like this. He says, it was not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. Right? I mean, we get that. Paul wasn't the gangbanger dude out there hitting the streets, beating people up, selling drugs. That wasn't Paul. He was the churchy guy. He was the religious guy. So we're be saying it wasn't bad stuff that kept Paul from Jesus. It was actually good things. He had to lose his religion in order to find salvation. So look at me. As long as you keep believing that the more you read your Bible, the more you pray, the more you give, the more you serve, the more God loves and approves of you, 
the less you're going to love Jesus, the less you're going to be in awe of what he's done for you, and the less you're going to look to him and depend on him for the approval that you so desperately want. So I have to ask us this. And this is a question we have to ask ourselves. Why in the world are you doing all these things on this list? That's the real question. Now I'll ask you a couple questions to help you figure it out, all right? Um, are you doing all the things on your spiritual resume card so that you truly can come before God in hopes to impress him? I look at me. Let me pull it out. Let me shine it off. Let me fluff it out. Let me check this out. Check out what I've done this week. God, I've been killing it this week when it comes to all things religious. God, aren't you impressed? Don't you love me more? See, if, if that's your reason, look at me. It's crap. Everything on you is crap. Are you that person who pulls this thing out so that you can stand before other people and say, look at me. You guys should all be impressed. You should want to be like me. I give more than you give, serve more than you serve, come to church more than you. I raise my hands in worship and you don't. You should want to be like me. If that's the way you do it, that's the reason behind it. Listen, everything on here is crap. It's meaningless. It's pointless. Or are you that person who would say, I don't do anything on here to impress anybody. It's from my God. The only reason that I do these things is because I'm so confident in how God loves me that my desire in life more than anything else is to know him more and for my life to serve as a light in this dark world so that other people who are far from him can find their way back to him. You see, if that's your motivation, then I would say you're on the right track. And my prayer is that that would be the motivation of all of our lives, that as a result of God's, or as a result of our confidence in God's love for us expressed through Jesus, that we would do whatever it is that made it onto our spiritual resume cards for no other reason than to know Jesus and to make him known. In the last two verses of this passage we're in this morning, we find that this is Paul's motivation of his entire life. And I want you to go back to verses 10 and 11, read these with me. Paul says that I may know him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain resurrection from the dead. What I love about these two verses is this. When Paul wrote what he wrote, he had known Jesus for almost 30 years. But his heart is, I just want to know him more. It's all I want out of life is just to know him more and more. And we should all get this, right? Because when you love somebody, isn't that what you want? You want to know him more each day. Uh, my wife and I, we just celebrated nine years of marriage a couple weeks ago, and I can honestly say because I love my wife, I want to know her more. It's why we go on dates regularly. It's why we go shopping together, why we, why we text. We text between services on Sunday morning, and, uh, and we're doing that just today. And why? It's because I want to know her more. She wants to know me more. We desperately love each other, and this was Paul's desire in these verses concerning Jesus. And for followers of Jesus, the same desire to know Jesus more should live inside of us as a result of our confidence in God's love. And I want to be clear because I don't want you to misinterpret this, okay? Paul's not describing a desire to know more about Jesus in this verse. He's describing a desire to know Jesus more. And there's a difference. You get that there's a difference, right? Here's the difference. What Paul wants is not to know more about Jesus in some dry intellectual way. He doesn't want to be the guy that, that can impress other people with his vast theological knowledge, quoting Bible verses left and right. That's not what he wants. What he wants is to know Jesus more in an experiential way. 
This is what he means when he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. He's literally saying, I want so much of Jesus in my life that I'm never the same. I want to know him so intimately that the same power that raised him from the dead changes everything about me. And this desire, again, this is the desire that should drive us to do the things on this list. We should desire to go to church more, to serve others more, to give more, to pray more, to read the Bible more. Not just to know more about Jesus, but to experience him in ways that leave us forever changed. Now, the next part of this verse is, and it's tough, but it's important. Paul says that I may share in Jesus' sufferings. And for those of us in the room, they go, why in the world Paul just want to suffer? I mean, is he some kind of masochist weirdo? That's not the point at all. And no, he's not. Paul is just a guy who understood that suffering could lead him to a deeper knowledge of Jesus. And here's why. Because Jesus knew what it was to suffer. I mean, we've been singing a song here on Sunday mornings recently called Man of Sorrows, uh, born out of Isaiah 53.3, which tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with suffering. And you see, you know, like I know, that when you suffer in the same way as another person, you're able to identify with that person on a deeper level than if you would have never suffered at all. I mean, Amber and I, my wife, we experienced that, that truth this past week when we shared, man, that she lost a baby. And several of you, you reached out to us and you said, we know what that's like. And people coming up to me this morning, going, we've been in your boat. Anything we can do for you, tell us. And because that's your story and now it's our story, we can identify with you on a level that we couldn't have previously. And so Paul, all he's saying is this, if suffering's gonna lead me to a more deeper relationship with Jesus, then I'll suffer. If that's gonna lead me to knowing more, I'll suffer, because all I want is to know more in life. There's nothing more that matters to me than knowing him. And then finally for Paul, the culmination of, of knowing Jesus meant becoming like him in his death and attaining resurrection from the dead. See, he's simply looking forward to eternity in this passage. He's thinking about that day when his heavenly citizenship becomes a reality because he knows on that day that he'll finally know Jesus face to face in a way that he would never know him while he was here on the earth. So, church, as we close, here's the question I want to close with. Do we desire to know Jesus like this? Do we desire to know Jesus like this? Are we so confident in God's love for us that we're willing to do whatever it takes to know more and more of Jesus who is the demonstration and proof of that love. And look at me, this is such an important question for all of us to answer and here's why. Because unless you're confident of God's love for you, unless you're confident that God's love toward you is dependent on Jesus and not you, and unless that confidence drives you to know him more and more, look, you're going to be like I was for 10 years. And you're going to get out of bed every day, and being a Christian is going to frustrate you. And it's going to feel hard, and it's going to be joyless, and it's going to be burdensome. You're going to get out of bed and go, do I really have to read the Bible again? Ah, I'm so sick of that thing. Do I really have to keep giving money? I'm sick of giving money. I'd rather keep my money to buy stuff I want. Do I really have to serve other people again? I want to do that. What about somebody serving me? Listen, if you're that person stuck in that cycle right now, well, following Jesus just feels tiresome and burdensome. Here's what, here's what I want to challenge you with. I believe that it's time for you to stop giving God your actions and to finally give him your heart.
It's time for you to quit working so hard for what is already yours because of Jesus. The God of this universe loves you more than you can ever comprehend. And man, I want to encourage you to believe that, to be confident in that, and to actually start loving him in return. So I want to ask us all over the room if we could just bow our heads. I want us to pray together. Father, I just want to thank you that as a sinful, broken man, I can stand on this stage today confident in your love for me. And I thank you that that there's nothing we have to do as people to help Jesus out. That we don't have to work and add on to, to what Christ has done at the cross in order to gain your acceptance and approval. God, I just thank you for that. I'm praying, God, that today you would truly free some of us up. That you'd help us to be confident in your love. And that confidence would change everything about us. It would change our desires, the pursuit of our life. God, that we'd understand that being a follower of Jesus is not not something we we have to do. It's something we get to do. And God, I pray that that you'd help us to, to follow Jesus joyfully, willingly. So God, my prayers in the next few moments, God, is I just pray you work in this place that your spirit would move in power. God, that you'd send us out of here changed people. Help us, help us, help us to be people who love you with all of our hearts out of our understanding and confidence in just how much you love us. So God, we give you our hearts, we give you our lives today. God, have your way with us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen.